Boop. It is recording. Okay, great. Fantastic. Welcome back. Hello, Yule. Hello, Philip. How are y'all doing? Hey, this is not Yule today. Huh? He just went back and listened to a lot of old episodes, so uh, reliving the glory days of this podcast. Yes, well, this is not Yule. This is DM Phil. And this isn't Phil. This is DM... Oh, no, just Yule. Playing Yule. Well, that's fantastic. So, uh, this was the longest chapter. It was 21 pages long. I don't really care about that. What I care about is that I gave an F about this chapter. Oh, really? What? Are you kidding me? You've act- We finally, 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 finally got to actually interact with uh, sort of. Palmer Eldritch. No, we didn't. We did? No. Well, was that it was him? A, uh, no. It's called a simulacrum. A simulacrum, but, or however you want to pronounce it. But- Why bother correcting people if you don't care? What are you talking about? Anyway, he wasn't real real. Or in this book, he's very real. I'm not sure. Like, to this to this day, I don't think we've met him. Well, the truth is, I was a little unsure, too. Well, he said he was in the ship, can... and that was oh, where the okay. voice was coming from, a speaker that was mounted outside of it or something. Well, okay, let's get there. Let's, I mean, let's not... Let's, start the podcast. Are we going to start talking? Are we going to do our... Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy Sci-Fi something or another. Nailed it, Yule. It's like that baking show, you know, with the train Nailed it. (laughs) That's what just happened. Yeah, no, it's Sci-Fi and Fantasy read-along. We've only been doing this for like a couple years. Well, I was actually just doing it so that you would start it. But, I mean, I could. I mean, it's funny when I do it. No, no, we'll use it. It's lovely. I like train wrecks. I think that they're amusing. I think the world finds train wrecks amusing largely. So, and, you know, hence modern television. Reality and, TV, Paris Hilton. I mean, whoever you can think of. You're all train so wrecks. living in the past. That's <laughs> funny. No, well, she came up today in Phillip's a... On, up on current events, you guys. You mean, you're talking about when she made that sex tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you know Pamela Anderson's on a sex tape? Uh, oh did you know God. they did a movie for that? <laughs> yeah, I did, actually. That's what I read Um... Do you guys remember what was going on in the last chapter? Oh, yeah. Do you? Barney hooked up with Anne in this freak. Some kind of frog referencing. Martian desert coupling Mm. in the freezing Martian night air. Mm. They got jiggy with it. For whatever reason, it seemed kind of forced, but they did. Then they went their separate waves. Yeah. The whole thing was like their walk between chicken prospects and... Chicken pox. Chicken pox prospect. Got it in one. And black back spit. Flax back spit. That was it. All right. Well, like I was saying, this chapter, in my opinion, got us back on track. I feel like the three previous chapters had been a little dull, not that interesting. Probably got some really good information in there that we needed, but I felt it was kind of not for me, not to my taste. But this one, I like this chapter a lot. This chapter begins back on Mars, of course. We've got Barney Meyerson banging his head against the wall upstairs at the Fineburn Crescent trying to learn how to farm. We have Todd and Norm teaching him in the morning, and then he bangs his head against the wall until noonish, and starts to wonder if this happens to everybody. They're excited about it, and then they kind of lose interest and slowly give in to torpor. In this particular case, I think Barney has set himself apart as somebody who's motivated to, to beat the odds, to make something of himself, to... Temporarily, maybe. He's already saying, look, I understand everybody else gives up, but am I the type to give up? And I don't think he is, and I think you see that throughout this entire chapter. Okay, so you don't think Barney's the type to give up. I don't think he's the type to give up. I think he is so dumb that he will never succeed. I don't, I'm not following you. That's okay. We'll get there, too. I thought we were going. We are going right now. Barney's trying to learn how to farm. We've already covered that part. And he gets a little bit of a visit from Fran, who I believe is the hot one. And she like leans up against him and she's showing him the seed catalog and telling him all this, all of the Martian wisdom that the farmers have come up with at this time and like how to make good deals to get more farming land and like whatever. It's not very important. But this is when a ship starts to circle overhead and he describes the skies like you could see the stars at noon and a ship is coming and Fran's like, ooh, visitors. And she runs off to get everybody else. The ship comes down, and it's Palmer Eldritch. <gasps> At least in theory. It's Palmer Eldritch. Instead of just telling me that you see him, tell me tell me what he looks like. All right. He's an older-looking man. He should be. He has, He's gray and bony and well over six feet. He has a weird gait when he's walking. It is Mars. Yeah. Uh, his face 
is like really gaunt. It sounds like it, 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 it describes it as if he his face was eating itself, as if he had chosen to devour the unnecessary parts. So, and then he's got these big old eyeballs. Tell me about his eyes. They're mechanical. They're amazing. He has horizontal slits for pupils. No one can tell where he's looking because of that. They're Jensen wide-angle Luxvid eyes. Jensen is a real optics company. I wonder what he can see with those eyes, but I have a feeling it's everything. We find out that he lost... Was it one eye that he had lost? Both. Uh, It was because of an acid attack that he suffered, but it doesn't really go into what happened there. He just calmly went to the doctor and got new eyes put in. Well, I mean, what happened that the acid was thrown at him? Barney is speculating that Palmer knew who was responsible, but he just never said anything. Never took retaliation. He just accepted it. Or he it. took retaliation quietly and nobody knew about it because he's one of the richest men in the world and can probably get away Maybe with murder. Maybe that too. And he said he oh, immediately went... Because why would Barney know? I don't know. But then he, he went yeah. to you know the Brazilian obstetricians, whatever you want to call them, and they gave him new these eyeballs. And he said it was rare. Like, but most people didn't do that. But it was the... It sounds like it's rare now. So when he did it, it was even rarer. <laughs> er. Well, how many people have Tyrell's eyes? Not Tyrell, the successor of Tyrell. Jared Leto's character? Yeah, Tyrell Corporation went bankrupt, and then this other guy bought the company and then expanded it further. But it wasn't Tyrell. Okay, great. So tell me about his teeth. He has enormous steel teeth. Stainless steel. I think stainless steel was a pretty big deal at the time. It was kind of new. They were installed before he went to Prox. All of this was done before Prox. It's kind of like you see some folks with like full metal teeth and it looks really freaky. But honestly, if you never had to worry about brushing your teeth again. Your breath would still stink. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. But if you never had to worry about cavities again, I mean, it's just like... Uh, Most people don't lose their teeth because of cavities. They lose their teeth because they don't take care of their gums. Oh, like gum disease? Yes. You lose bone mass and then your teeth fall out. Or they have to take them out because there's nothing for them to root in. It's key that it says that they are permanent teeth and he will die with them. If he ever dies. All right, tell me about his arm. So Palmer Eldritch, when he was hunting in Callisto, lost his arm and had a mechanical one put on in its place. And the best part about it, and, uh, you know, we love looking at, or I like looking at this book and seeing how things of today or maybe possibly tomorrow are influenced by this. But uh, the whole action figure where you get to change the hands. Oh, yeah. That's what you can do with this. And today he's rocking a human-looking hand. Dude, his arm is like a giant Dremel tool. There's probably a, uh, oh, I've got a wrench function. Or something I assume like that. that that's accurate, but I mean, he's not going to turn a wrench. This is not a man who's going to turn a wrench. Yet this man, who as powerful, I know, as I know, is, I know exactly what you're going to say. He deigned to hand deliver his product. The rest of the hovel arrive after we get the description of Palmer Eldritch, and we're told immediately that that's a simulacrum. That's not the real thing. Even the ship is probably not real. It's probably 600 miles away. Well, that's what the people think. And Palmer Eldritch is like, I'm talking to you right now, aren't I? I'm in this ship. Some of the locals think it's like um, like a mirage. hundred miles away. No, they think it's like a mirage. Like, no, it's, it's obviously it's right there. But I mean, they know what they're looking at. They know they're all looking at a ship. They can all agree on that. So it's obviously real in some capacity. But whether or not there's an actual ship there versus a holographic ship or a simulacrum of a ship, they don't know. Well, that's where the sound seems to be coming from, right? Exactly. The speakers, the sound is coming from the ship, not Palmer Eldritch. My impression of this whole scene is that although they are doubting and Palmer Eldritch physically is not there in front of them, he is probably on that ship, which is actually on land. I think the ship is there. Right. I don't think Palmer's out on the surface. I would no. agree with that. And not only that, when he hands his card, it floats through fingers and then lands on the ground. And but it Palmer stays there. smiles. He smiles because he knew that was going to happen, and he's just happy to see their expression on their face. Do you guys see the parallel with the connection between the handshake now and the handshake between Leo Bolero and the two future humans on Sigma 14B? No. Go on. It's almost the exact same scene. They try to shake each other's hands, but they're insubstantial. And so Palmer Eldritch here is insubstantial. And Palmer Eldritch in 
the Palmer Eldritch universe on Sigma 14b was also insubstantial, which means there maybe there is no Palmer Eldritch. Yeah, but that was anywhere. a choosey trip, if you if you recall. It's possible he's already tripping, Yule. Right. Well, I think there's some symbolism here, and the symbolism here is trying to grasp the unobtainable. Why? I, uh, it's just like the Holy Grail or Palmer Eldritch's hand is the Holy Grail. We have read religious references from beginning to the end of this novel, whether it is enlightenment or it is immortality or it is uh, heaven or some other variation of that it is an, it is an unobtainable thing. You got that from Palmer Eldritch shaking hands. Yeah. Okay. All right, all right. We'll wait and see, I suppose. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if I can go with you on that one. All right. Palmer Eldritch is here to do business, but during this business transaction, there is a tete-a-tete happening between him and Barney. It's kind of like there's two parallel conversations that are going on. The one that he's having with Barney is very personal because this is a man who knows who Barney used to work for suggests that they've already gone through his luggage. They know he didn't show up with any propaganda. So what's the deal? What's he trying to accomplish? Palmer Eldritch accuses of Lee or of Barney for still working for Leo. Barney makes sure to let him know that he is his ex-employee. So what about that visit from Alan Fane last night? Barney kind of lets that loose. He stumbles over that one. Palmer right. Eldritch just outsmarts him. Right. Completely. Exactly. And Barney's like, that was business. And he's like, oh, so you do still work for him. Exactly. So <laughs> I like that. I like I like that little play there. I thought that yeah. worked out pretty well. You said earlier that Barney was dumb. I don't know if I was going to necessarily go that far. But definitely Palmer Eldritch is a step above. He doesn't seem smart. He wants to live in a low number apartment. <laughs> yeah. He, okay. That's fair. His his motivations are very very simple. People that have talents and are very good don't necessarily have other ones, you know. Well, though, like let's cut him a little bit of slack because in the very first chapter, Ronnie had mentioned that you know when you spend so much of your time looking at the future, you have a detachment from the present. And so I think that mental acuity is sharp when it comes to looking forward, but perhaps the newspaper not, headlines. Yeah, perhaps not so sharp when you're looking at the here and now. I I just I question his actual motives in a lot of things. Well, not to say I think I think he lacks a little bit of mental acuity to be able to handle what I would consider really simple machinations. To not go too deep into the author, but the the thing I've always heard about Philip K. Dick is that he writes about the every man. Oh. If it's a person that's like you know thinking forward, uh, moving up in the world of finance or you know or business and stuff like that, that's a very understandable thing that pretty much everybody does. You know, um, they just want to get ahead in their job. Of course. To us, this is a, a fanciful sci-fi, you know, future setting that we can't really see us living in. But to Philip K. Dick and these characters, it's a very normal, everyday kind of existence that we here in the now live also. Yeah, it's the struggle. And I think you nailed it, Yule. It's uh, Richard Natt did the same thing when he was like struggling to survive and provide and elevate himself. For him and I saw a connection between them in this chapter as well. I, I, I did, but that's... They but, seem like the same person. They have similar motivations and similar... They're selfish in the same way. I would agree with that also. But, you know, to Yule's point is your average person... Let's call it middle class. I mean, he's going to... IQ 103. Yes, he's going to struggle to advance himself. And some win and some don't, but it doesn't stop you from struggling to do so. So, good, good observation, Yule. Oh, thank you. Barney notices that Palmer Eldritch thrives on conflict. He's not concerned that Leo Bolero is trying to thwart him or stop him. He's pleased. He's happy. He's fine. He's good with it. He wants to have the challenge. He's playing a game he likes. And Barney is out of his depth when he's dealing with Palmer Eldritch. I think Leo Bolero was out of his depth, too, to be honest. Oh, I think it's clear Leo was completely out of his depth. And Leo's evolved. So there's the conflict there. The rest of the people in the hovel want their choosy. 
They don't care. One of the ladies is throwing out skins immediately. Did you notice she has an armload of skins? And it just made me giggle. I was like, she's carrying all this money. And Paul Morell just is like, that'll be five skins. This is about like a thousand skins and he only needs five. Yeah. Palmer's like kind of like, do you know why I'm here? And one of the one of the hobelists is like, don't care. Don't care about your your God stuff. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just tell us how much it's going to cost. And he's like, yeah, it's going to cost a lot less. One tenth. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds like a great deal. It does sound great. It does sound great. It's nice and cheap. It actually sounds a lot like methamphetamines is what it sounds like, <laughs> where you can't afford cocaine, so you buy the cheap stuff. And it lasts a lot longer, and that's what Ray said that Philip K. Dick was taking in abundance. Oh, really? Yes. You want to let the the listeners know who Ray is? Ray Nelson co-wrote the Ganymede Takeover with Philip K. Dick. He's also the author of the short story that was turned into the movie that you'll love so much that I don't love at all called They Live. Yeah, They Live. We're <laughs> yeah. living and They Live right now. Kind of. Kind I of. mean, it's amazing. The Hovelists want their choosy, but uh, Barney, he's he kind of turns his back on Palmer Eldridge and goes and fiddles with some of the farming equipment. And he starts to think that he's going to have to take a step forward and helping out old Leo Bolero in this threat, which is Palmer Eldridge. Supposedly, if the real Palmer Eldridge comes out as Barney is messing around with this piece of equipment... I don't believe that. Why? Because uh, Barney's a ding-dong. That's why. Like, what did he base that information off of? It looked real. So what? So the other guy. I don't know that Palmer Eldridge was really there. How do you become the hologram that you were projecting? Is that technology in this world? Because that's what it sounds like happened. But that's just based on Barney's perception. And then Barney's like, I'm going to take this piece of metal that just broke off the front end of this derelict tractor, and I'm going to clobber this guy. He could clobber the guy. Well, he turned to do so, and then there's like laser beams and from the ship, and it disinte- essentially disintegrates that piece of metal. I got to say, Philip, are you familiar with the term sense motive? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And it's... <laughs> That ship has passed, I mean, has just blown two sense motive checks out of the water. Two of them, right? And it's got a great speaker, too. The first one was when he's like, no, I'm in the, sh- I'm, I'm in the ship. The ship's real. That was like, they were talking amongst themselves, and, and the ship was like, I know what they're talking about. No, I'm real. And now, <laughs> all Barney did was turn around with a piece of metal in his hand, and it's like, that person's trying to kill Palmer. No. So maybe that is Palmer because no, why bother danced? shooting a weapon out of a dude's hand? I, I'm not sure, but there was a hologram, and then the, and then there's a not hologram, and there's a not a hologram, guy. and then a, a real quote unquote real Palmer Eldridge comes out, and then Barney Mayerson has this idea to like club him in the head. I'm like, well, that's one that's primitive, but could be equally effective again not a very smart man no kidding leo did the same thing leo almost resorted to trying to murder palmer eldritch because there's like something in his way it's like there's a problem i'm going to solve it with violence very primate both of them both of them did the exact same thing or had the exact same inclination and what are you saying leo when he had the tongue gun or something like that? no well no no when he was strangling the girl with his bare hands both oh yeah that's right he showed up with the intent of, like, if I have to, I'll kill the guy. I mean, it, the intent was there. Barney's intent was there. The ship recognized his intent and prevented it f- him from acting. Was the intent there, or was it the fact that Barney looked in the future and said, you're going to be in trouble for having killed him? I don't know. Barney's not looking into the future anymore. At least we're not getting any sure. intimations of that. Well, true. I mean, what I'm like, saying is... Like, that behavior is, is off the table right now. If the thought is out there, like, knowing that you're going to get in trouble for having murdered Palmer Eldritch or, or the other way around. <laughs> oh no, it is Palmer Eldritch. I don't think he's an informed actor at this point in time. That's kind of a point I was thinking is that, I mean, Palmer Eldritch knows so many things. You wonder if he's reading people's minds, but literally a half a second has passed. And then as soon as he turns around, the ship vaporizes, half vaporizes the piece of metal and, what happens to... Palmer dances away. He kind of like jumps backwards and he... It's like the gravity's low on Mars, so he jumps in a strange way. And then he does this, uh-uh-uh, with his hand. <laughs> he like waggles his hand. 
And then he turns around towards the ship and he he like gets sucked in as if he was on a line in a strange sine wave. Yes, he like floats up and down like a balloon in a sine wave as he gets reeled in. That's not human. I mean, what is that? Uh, can you see my eyes? I'm like, what the hell was that describing? The uh, hovelists come on and they're like, what happened? And like within moments, they're like, well, we got our choosy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, well, it seems like uh, Barney and Eldritch had a problem with each other. I'm sorry, Yul, the million other question is, was this floating balloon sinusoidal flying Palmer Eldritch the real Eldritch? In the very least, it's someone that could have been hurt by a bar being swung at someone's head, I guess. Are we done with the surface? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the part where he's like, hey, you all see me chewing this, right? Hey, guys, I'm chewing this, right? I'm I'm chewing this. You do see it. Yeah, we see it, Barney. See, he's not bright. He's following the script. He wants to make sure that everybody knows that he definitely Fine told did him it. exactly what to do in the last chapter, and he's doing exactly that. All right, so let's move to the inside. It says sometime later, but they left the surface seeming like they were going straight to a party. Tastes like decaying mushrooms, and it makes one of them kind of wretch. Right? Yeah, that's what mushrooms do. <laughs> they don't taste good unless they're, you know, shiitake or, you know, portobello or something. You know, the, those mushrooms taste good. It sounds like nasty, moldy mushrooms is what they're eating. Magic mushrooms don't taste good. Not at all. They're the worst. <laughs> all right. So they are all chewing choosy. They're still sitting around in a circle, even though they don't need the layout. Palmer Eldridge was like, it's better because, you know, for one thing, it's cheap, too. You don't need a layout. Go have fun. So they do. They all chew at the same time, and bam. The next thing that Barney knows, he's waking up, and his wife is kind of leaning over him. And this is Emily, who's now married to Richard Nat. She's kind of mad at him because he's drunk. They're having a spat, essentially. It's kind of a boring spat, but it's, you know, typical, you know, man, woman, not agreeing. You don't like the way I do this. Why are you so damn critical? That kind of stuff. They live in Detroit, by the way. Well, I don't know if they do. He definitely works in Detroit. All right. Maybe that's what it is. You're right. I'm not I'm not convinced because it just said that the distance, the, the you're talking about the number, the Conapt apartment that he lives in is like 11 million and some change. Yeah, 11 million, 139,584. And that is a distance from central New York, downtown New York. And I'm like, what? Is New York the center of the universe? Because. Yeah. It, yeah. Apparently it is. They you think so. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> there was a time, certainly, when it was like the city to be in. Paris had its day. New York had its day. The Big Apple. You keep saying that. You're alone. No, I'm not. I know the Big Apple of it. Yeah, everybody knows the Big Apple, but nobody calls it that. Really? Nobody? All right, so this is a hungry, younger Barney Mayerson. In this chapter, or in this section, he's he reminded me of Richard Nat completely. He says in there even that he just wants a job that fully takes advantage of his skills. What more could he possibly want? That's all he wants in life. He literally just wants a job. He also doesn't seem like he really thinks that his wife is all that smart or has he really even that slob. big a talent. Yeah, he calls her a slob. Yeah, exactly. This is probably before she got big. You're right. He, he doesn't seem to think much of her talent. Right. He doesn't seem to think much of her. I find it funny, though, that Barney is so, in, in, in his real life, not in his choosy, chewing life, that he would even consider going back to Emily and saying, run away to Mars with me. When we see that his relationship with her here in the very beginning wasn't so good, and he doesn't think that she's all that talented, and he calls her a slob. This is not the Emily that's going to be a big deal in the uh, pottery world. Yeah, it is. Well, what I'm saying is he can't, she hasn't become that yet. And he can't stand looking at her working with all that clay and everything. He said it was like excrement-like paints and stuff. Yeah. And that she liked to get her arms dirty in it. And he, he does not approve. Apparently. I think he just doesn't like hippies. The artistic life without the talent. Yeah, except that that's not true, is it? 
Well, she definitely evolved the talent. I don't know how it was when they were... I think it's like a lot of things. It's a skill. You know, you exercise the skill over and over and over again until you're a master. The other thing about talent or, or art or things like that is uh, people aren't always in tune with what you're doing. Well, I thought the same thing when they're talking about, like, yeah, they're obviously already having, like, marriage problems, but you shouldn't have gotten married to begin with. Well, it's obviously too late for that. Well, it is. Well, uh, You're right. They're not a good match. They shouldn't have gotten married, but they are married. They're having marital problems, and instead of facing those problems, Barney decides to go get drunk at a bar somewhere else. He may or may not be home for dinner, and then he gets up and leaves. He was drinking Old Crow. I don't know if you guys ever had it. No. Bottom shelf would be uh, be a compliment. <laughs> he lives in Conap 11 million in Cha-Ching. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. All right, but he goes outside, and there's a man in the hallway. Palmer Eldritch is sitting out there, and he's telling Barney that, like, you're not doing this right, uh, talking about his choosy experiment, I guess. He's, he's like, you're wasting your time in the past. I don't think that's 100% what he means, though. He's not disappointed that he's he's living his life in the past. He's concerned that he's doing it wrong. Okay. Well, you mean that he's like pining away for this time and it obviously isn't that great a time to begin with. He said to him, and I'm quoting, you're using your time badly. Right. And then it's followed up with something that suggests what is the value of me giving you eternal life if you're going to just dwell on the garbage. Because it sounds like hell. It is hell. Like if you could create any reality you want, why would you focus on something unpleasant? You remember that it was told to us a long time ago that Palmer Eldritch spent some number of years on Prox. And during that time, he spent relative 100 years inside the trip. And I suggested at the time that maybe he had like had time to really plan what he was going to do. And I think that's what he intends for people to do when they're using Choosy. You remember how Ronnie acted and Barney acted when Leo Bolero took that little portal to New York when he was in his choosy trip? I remember that scene. What do you mean? They were perfect simulacrum of themselves. They responded in the way that they would have responded. They talked the way that they would have talked. They are perfect representations of the real thing. So I'm wondering if this is not a way to run perfect simulations and thereby like make decisions about your life. Have a day. Choose some choosy. Figure out what you can do better, you know, in the future. You said it yourself a couple of days ago that maybe Palmer Eldridge doesn't need pre-fash consultants because he can see the future himself. Hmm. Like, I'm wondering if that's not what he's trying to get people to do. That would make my ordering so much more sharp. I know. I know. I'd be like, screw this book talking about this book. I'm taking some choosy so I can order properly. I need 47 copies of this thing. No, you know what? I'll bump it up to 50 so I can get the extra incentive cover. Let's go back a little bit. Barney doesn't realize he's in a simulation. I think immediately he has forgotten. He completely believes the simulation. He thinks he's married to Emily. He thinks he's in this rundown apartment in Chicago, and he thinks he's drinking this horrible Old Crow whiskey. And then Palmer Eldritch shows up at the door. And the question I had is like, how How does Palmer Eldritch just like insert himself? How do you not remember that he did this to Leo Bolero? I know, but... Yeah, I, but we but didn't I, think Leo had... He wasn't chewing it. He was just in... Leo had been injected with it. Oh, that's right. I thought that was a special circumstance. Apparently not. I did not. too. We have precedent. I don't think it's special. Well, no, Palmer Elder said, this is my world. I created it. I made the rules and so on and so forth. So what it sounds like is all choosy is a portal for Palmer Eldritch to be able to come and talk to you. That's kind of what I thought. A conduit, yeah. So, you know, you and me, us, we're taking Choosy. Palmer's not going to screw with us. We have no nothing to offer him. He doesn't have any reason to pay attention to us. Exactly. But he could if he wanted to. Well, is he trying to proselytize the uh, benefits of Choosy and coming and contacting him? Win him over to his side, no, Barney? Okay. Because Barney's, you know, there to destroy the Choosy operation. I had two thoughts that evolved through this entire trip that one Palmer Eldritch was guiding Barney through this process and two he was here spying to try to to get information from him maybe both 
I think that's very reasonable. I think everybody should get that. But I also wonder, did Palmer Eldritch not seem kind of paternal and protective to you? Um, under no circumstances did I feel he was paternal. Okay, so explain the marriage counseling. Why was he trying why was he trying to fix that relationship? He's an agenda. He's trying to be a guide right here. And I don't know what his motivations or his goal are. Maybe just to get him past that whole marriage thing so that uh, he can concentrate on something more productive. Probably. Like what? I would I have no idea. Yeah, you know, it's this idea of being able to interact with your everlasting life. This is like more like uh, one of those video games with an open world. And you're like, oh, you're going to just dig into the side of a hill all the day, all day long. You know, yeah. it's like watching Jill play a video game. You Minecraft know? is like, fun. I just want to go and get through the story and kill the fools I have to kill and get the game done. And she's chopping down trees for hours at end so that she can find the extra stuff. I need to get 100%. I, I need to fill it all up. Yeah. You know, yeah, whatever. We're, we're, and I'm like, nuts. that's not me. We're not. We all play our games differently, but... Um, even still, that open world really is not an open world, and this is. We've talked about it before. If everything is open-ended, what we often will do is just make the familiar things that we like and just kind of like you know keep doing that instead. What about the advice you only have one life to live? Um, I, I, I did take note of that. La, 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 la. You know what? Hold on. Before we do that, let's, let's discuss the events that happened in the hallway because this is simply Palmer Eldridge, like using his mechanical hand to knock Barney Marison down. He says that if you don't get it right and quick, I'm going to take you to chicken pox prospect where you deserve to be. I can't use choosy the way I want to. I want to hang out with my dead dog, you know? <laughs> well, if you were in Choosy, this is Barney, though. He gets pushed down, and he wakes up in Ronnie's apartment. He bolts out of there, like, as quick as he can. It's almost like the first chapter of the book, again. He doesn't know who she is. There's the mention of getting coffee, but he's like, I gotta get to Emily. It's nothing personal. Yeah, it's a replay of the very first page of chapter one, and it's not identical. But he did it differently. And so he goes running off to Emily's apartment. There's some kind of, I don't know, the transition scene is really, I just blurred through it because it seemed kind of blurry. Yeah. Like, it was very easy for him to get there. You know, it was like he was going with the flow or whatever, and he just managed to be back at the apartment. Richard Nat answers the door. Emily seems pretty cool about seeing Barney at the door, though. Yeah. It's, it's like, well, come on in. Let's talk. Oh, it's, Let's hang it's out. It's just my ex. No big deal. And and Richard seems cool with it also. He was a little darkened by the approach of this man, but he kept his emotions in control. He says, ditch this dude. I want to yeah. remarry you. Again? I mean, right in front of him, too. <laughs> it's like, it's the ultimate cuck. Like he's not there. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, I was like, I, I, I laughed or I cringed. I can't remember what I did. But this guy, like, shows I'm like, up in her It was kind apartment. of ballsy, uh, is what I thought. <laughs> he like, ignores Richard like he's nobody and said, Emily, I was wrong. Come marry me. Yeah, well, you could get divorced. Duh. <laughs> All right, but this is Palmer now. When right. Emily and Barney are having their conversation, Richard becomes Palmer. And then he does marriage counseling for Emily. And I I do think he kind of blames her for like it's your it's the type of person that you are you're the duty type you thought it was your duty not to get in the way when Barney was trying to leave you so you let it happen it's like huh that doesn't make any sense that's what he's doing there why is he doing that to get Barney out of this frame of mind I guess yeah yeah but it's not to get him completely out because when they're out in the hallway he's like you're doing a great job keep chipping away at it implying don't go don't get past this like get it perfect oh. as though you could change the past with choosy you could change the past in your own mind and live more contentedly yeah but what if you could actually you've ever read the lathe of heaven no ursula k Le Guin. there's a kid whose dreams become reality and there's a psychiatrist that figures out that he can manipulate this kid by encouraging him to dream a certain way so what if palmer eldritch is encouraging people to reimagine the past so that that becomes the reality. Because what if Barney got it right with Emily? 
What's the purpose of chipping away, though? What could possibly be the purpose of getting the past right? The only thing I can think of is that what Palmer Eldritch is trying to deliver is eternal life, which is what he's promised. But eternal life of dissatisfaction is... Hell. That's hell. Yeah, it's hell. So he's promising... He's trying to get people to find their utopian heaven. That is a semi-altruistic thing to do. It... Other than the fact well, that they're in prison. Well, it's altruistic unless you're right, trying to trap them there for forever. their entire life. And yes, no, trap was the key word, which comes up in the very beginning of the chapter. Yule, you brought this up a couple of chapters ago, that what if he is the, um, like the human side? He's already locked in. The proxers are coming. They're going to imprison everybody. And he is the human element that's like, no, look, if you do it this way, it won't be hell. It could be really, really bad. But if you do it the right way, you won't even realize you're in prison. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if they're going to go in the Matrix, willing or not, and we have that sense because the UN is already doing this to people. It's already sending them into prisons. Camps, as it were. So what if Palmer's really trying to help people? Great question, but no, I have this thought, and it's only based on the the cover art. I know, and you should throw that out, man. I don't think that you should rely on the cover art. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'll try. I'll excise, excise that from my thought processes. But I think it's... You just change, you'll just change the cover art in the oh, background. Oh, that, <laughs> to that sterile the cover that we're reading. That, the high art book. It's so boring. Okay, Mariner, fine. get your shit together. You know, I, I can't rule that out, that he's trying to find the lesser of two evils. Also, I can't rule out that... You know, he's trying to give people this false reality. Like you were saying, like, who wouldn't do that? I'm like, I I have a hard time doing that. I think the only part of it that sounds really, really horrifying is that everybody's isolated. If it's just a drug that you can occasionally take and go for as long as you want, you know, go and take and, like, do a fun thing. Uh You know, go, go travel around in Europe for three years with plenty of money, right? Have all those experiences. The experience is what matters. It's not whether or not it was fake, and then come out of it, and everything's fine. That's that's wonderful. If we all three took Choosy, and I could go to your neck of the woods and visit you, mm. but you're using Choosy and to going to you my neck, neck of the, of the woods, woods to visit me, Yeah, but we're all visiting each other in our own little Choosy situation. Can't do that with Choosy, though. Well, that's what I think. You're all... Everybody's isolated yeah. in Choosy. Well, they're not. Candy, they're not. Well, but that's the thing is we could all take it at the same time. Leo met up with Ronnie and... They weren't real. They were perfect versions, They're perfect versions, but they're not the real person. Exactly. But you don't think that that Emily is Emily. You don't think that that Richard Nat is Richard Nat. No. You know? But they're there, and at that moment, he thought Emily was Emily when he was having a real argument with her like he always did, probably. What a boring man he is. <laughs> I know. Once again, once again, that's that's Barney. He doesn't have a big dream. Let's just right. say that. But, you know, I, I think this would be destructive and because, for instance, we could all take Choosy at the same time, and I could spend one day having my fun Atien could spend one year having his own fun, and Yul could have a hundred years doing his own fun. Then we'd all come back, and we'd be completely different people. And we would all be at the same, we'd be back in the same time. Yeah. One second later. And probably, since I'm making this scenario, I'm not going to like either of you two at the end of it. No, yeah, for sure. That's that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at, is that, you know, we would have changed. Write your own book, Yul. (laughs) <laughs> I, well, I would be. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Barney is being shaken awake by the dark-haired girl. When he oh, comes yeah. out, did he not sound like he was physically addicted to you? Oh, my God. Yes. Give me more. 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 I say more. Weren't we told early on that it was non-addictive? That was part of the reason why it was sanctioned by the UN. It was non-addictive. It was a superior product. The thing that got me about Anne waking him up from his choosy trip was that maybe it didn't feel over yet. And she was rousing right. him from it. And maybe addiction is too strong a word, but he wasn't finished doing what he was doing. Yeah. And that was upsetting. And, you know, you probably want to get back into it as quick as possible. 
It's mentioned twice. The mm-hmm. There's like a physical, it's not a withdrawal. It's not the terminology that was used, but it, it was like a physical feeling of dependency on this substance. And then later on, his, his joints ache. And he's like, and... give me your choosy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Give it to me. Damn and she's it. like, no, I want it. It's mine. And he had a headache. Yeah. I'm glad she had the will to deny him, though. Before the others awaken, tell me all about it. How was it? And he's like, give me more. She's like, oh, that good, huh? Well, he came around to our place, too. This strange, large gray man came by and sold us some as well. Well, I call shenanigans because supposedly if you take two Z, like no time passes. And they all took it and all of a sudden she's shaking him. Like, well, I don't know how much time it takes to go to somebody's... Walk in the door. Yeah, I know. All that other stuff. So I call shenanigans there. And then it was like... She was like, what if I had been a U.N. official? I'm like, well, wasn't it U.N.? It's UN... sanctioned by the U.N. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's fine. They would be okay with it. They'd be like, yep, this is how we want them. Narcotized. Yes, what did it say to do it again as soon as possible? Everything else was unimportant. Even the girl beside him and his inert, quiet fellow hovelist slumped here and there. Yeah, he sounds... <laughs> he sounds addicted already. Like one But hit. he's addicted because he wants to go back and do it right continue yeah. what he was doing and it sounds like what he wants to do is continue with emily well there's something interesting i think at the top of 179 barney says it's an illusory world when he's describing the experience to Anne. he says it's an illusory world in which eldritch holds the key positions as god he gives you a chance to do what you can't really ever do reconstruct the past as it ought to have been but even for him it's hard it takes time and then he notices that there's something wrong with Anne. Yeah, she has a mechanical arm, right? Uh-huh. <gasps> we thought we were out. We're not out. And then Anne starts saying, you can have more later, but you can only do like one session a day. It's like it's not Palmer's good for you. <laughs> laying out the the groundwork on how you're supposed to use choosy. In the guise of Anne, yeah. In the guise of Anne, yeah. She couches it with like, you'll go broke. Why would you go broke? I mean, if I don't get woken up for man, he's going to oh, raise wait, the price. Right. Obviously, you know, he's going to undercut his opponent, take his place completely, and then he's going to raise the price when there's no competition, which is exactly sure. what all the streaming services are hoping to do, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. I talk as, about streaming services way too much in my life. As soon as one of them <laughs> is a winner, you're going to be the loser. That's Until right. Disney gets everything. My Amazon Prime <laughs> just went up 20 bucks. Oh, don't even remind me. Yes. It's still worth it at 140 or 130. Oh, it's still worth certainly. it. Because he uses Amazon also, right? Oh, yeah. Free shipping? Give me a break, dude. Yes. This desk that I bought that goes up and down with the motor, the shipping on that would have been 100 bucks. Right. It would have been 100 bucks. And the, the beautiful thing about Amazon right now is that if it's broken, you send it back and they'll send you the new one. They're very good about that. They always have. They them. are. They are very good. But yeah. paperback novels used to be half off of uh, Barnes & Noble. And tell me how much you got to pay for a brand new paperback novel now from Amazon. I'm guessing it's going to be nine or ten bucks minimum. I want to say it's full price, whatever that number is. Is that yeah. because there's no 10, Barnes & Noble's left? Well, there's Barnes & Noble, but that's it, pretty much. There's not a lot of competition. All right, so let's get back on track, because uh, that was my fault. She does give him advice about this is the proper amount to take per day. Don't want to go broke, silly. But this is Palmer Eldritch in the guise of Anne Hawthorne. And then we get a page break indicating that some time has passed. The other hovelists are coming out of their euphoria, and they had a very different experience. Sexual in nature. yes. Todd Morris relived his first <clears throat> successful date. And so did Mary Reagan. So they had, and it, I don't want to emphasize the sexual nature of that, but it's, there's the gratification there. They had a good time. Yes, they had a good they time. They took Choosy, and they had a good time. And Barney did not. Well, it sounds like it's a lot of what they would have done on Candy anyway. Just they were able to actually do it, not they have to worry alone, about it. They were alone, though. I don't remember when that's pointed out in this chapter, but it is pointed out that they were isolated. They didn't go and have fun together. When Leo Bolero was taken by Palmer Eldridge for the first time, he said, everybody here is alone. And then he stopped. Alone, except for Palmer Eldridge. 
Yeah, you're communing with God, right? Yes, and he's deifying himself. I don't even know if he's doing that. I think that that's just the natural conclusion that you would draw. Mm. What I'm getting at here is that if Palmer Eldritch is giving them hedonistic fantasy experience where... This is Barney's world. Oh, we think it's still Barney's world. That's right. Yeah. We know this is still Barney's world. Like, he doesn't know that he's still in... Because he's alone. These other people having these fantastic things, and they, he doesn't dwell on it. But I'm like, well, Barney had this kind of like really crappy experience of reliving and uh, a divorce, a, essentially a toxic marriage, yeah. and a mm-hmm. woman who he can't obtain. Maybe that's why Palmer Elders was trying to steer him towards hedonism. It's not, I don't think that's what Palmer's trying to do for him. I had the impression Palmer Elders was trying to corrupt him towards hedonism, and he was dwelling on. By making him have to go back and, like, fix his marriage? No, I don't know. That's your theory, but it seems to me... That's what he was doing. He told him to chip away. Keep going back. I didn't comprehend what Palmer Eldridge was trying to communicate at that point in time. I did not comprehend that. Okay, well, I I think it had something to do with you can go back and alter the past. You're on the right track. Keep going. That's, That's what it suggested to me. Well, I think you had something there. It's like, keep working at it, and you can recreate reality. That would be amazing. Like, you said it, and then I reread a couple of passages, and I'm like, uh, it kind of implies you can keep working at it until you recreate reality. Yeah, yeah, you get the perfect life, the charmed life, right? And Palmer's had a hundred years in relative time to get it right. Well, maybe he's trying to advance humanity... I hope so, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Is he either enslaving or elevating? I, I Either way, he's really just trying to break Barney down here, right? He doesn't want this guy to go through with the plan. Okay, well, let's talk about the plan and how it's going forward, because I, I understand what you're getting at, but our, our listeners will not, right? Um, well, unless they read the book, in which unless case... Unless they read it. <laughs> they, did the, they did the right <laughs> way around, right? Read the book first and then listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to All work. Right, but Barney goes and he gets some time alone away from the other hovelists. He doesn't want to listen to their salacious stories. So he goes back to his quarters. Anne is not around. And he, start, he starts thumbing around with that vial. Yeah, this is the, the vial with the uh, epilepsy in it, right? Yeah. Uh, he unscrews the lid and then a... Uh... A voice comes from it? It's empty. It's a tiny little voice, and it says, We're watching you, Mayerson. If you're up to something, we're going to restrict you. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um... Yeah, all right, so, assuming that every other person is Palmer Eldridge, and that's Palmer Eldridge talking to him. And if we're, it's not Palmer Eldridge talking to him, that means there's other people observing also. I think I think it's fair to assume it's Palmer. Okay, well, that's fine, but it's not even identifying themselves as Palmer or even showing in a, in a mechanical eye or arm or anything like that. There's nothing to suggest it's Palmer. Either way, it's creepy that it could be Palmer or other people or it doesn't matter. This is where I had this thought that this entire fantasy was Palmer Eldritch's means of interrogation. Oh, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely very likely to find out. And then like so Barney's consciousness goes towards this file and he pulls it out and it's blank. Right. There's nothing in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's empty. It's empty. Well, it's got a voice in it. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, Anne shows up, though. Yes, she does. And she sees him with the vial, and she says, what is this vial? Uh-huh. And he says, it's escape. It's escape from this place. What is that, Mars? Is that choosy? Uh, maybe both of them? Oh, it is both. It is both. Remember, Fane offered him a path off of the planet. Right. In the last episode, or last chapter. Right. Which he said he wasn't going to take, but that's sure beside thing. the point. At least it's uh, it's escape from this, yes. which I guess would be the choosy, the tripping on Palmer Eldridge. He could drug. just be evading also. He's giving her an indistinct answer because he doesn't want to tell her because he knows that she's Palmer Eldridge, right? Well, more than likely. So does that mean all of his hobbelists were Palmer Eldridge also? I think that's a fair assumption. Uh-huh. Unless he's Unless, really again, dense. You know, you know, we can create people in a choosy trip. That are perfect. Maybe it's not those. 
I think Palmer yeah. can probably just dip into any one of them that he wants to. Do you know what I mean? That calls into question how much he can uh, he can pay attention to it. Let's just say everybody on Mars. Maybe he's omniscient. Takes choosy at the same time. This is what people ask about God also. Yeah. How could God be paying attention to every single one? <laughs> Even when action is not being taken to save that kid who's drowning in an ocean. Yeah. God is there. Is he? Um, at least that's the concept. You know, oh man, this person's really using choosy the worst I've ever seen. I better step in. Yep. Yep. <laughs> You're gonna have a bad trip. Usually Barney. Palmer Eldritch, God doesn't really step in and uh, tell me I'm screwing it up with choosy. But this time I really went out of bounds. <laughs> you remember it's a superior product. Do you remember when Barney wanted to be the boss? And he was like, I want all the paperwork yeah. to go through me. Yeah, that's kind of what Palmer Eldritch is doing. If that's if what you're sure. describing is true, you're telling me God is like the perfect put paper pusher kind of person, micromanager. <laughs> yeah, no, God's the opposite, right? Like because he never shows up when you need him. Palmer Eldritch might be the perfect micromanager because he's omniscient. Maybe, but maybe only for Leo and Barney. Well, Maybe he'll he'll make an exception for Ronnie also, but Anne's screwed. It does make sense for him to go after Barney, though, because he knows Barney's up to something. He tells him that if he's up to something, they're going to severely restrict him, whatever that means. Oh, yeah, like not give him any more choosy. Whatever it means, I don't know. But he does think that this guy is up to something. He did watch the ship come down with Alan Fane. He does know about that meeting. He does know that Barney's up to something. So I think it makes sense to kind of do the interrogation that Philip was talking about. Well, I think you'll just write it. There's this weird sense. I get that Palmer Eldritch can go into anybody's dream. He just doesn't have the motivation to do so for most people. He does for Barney. This is a weird analogy, but um, it's like uh, Professor X on the X-Men where he could <laughs> search out every single human on the planet with his mind, and he could connect them all with his mind. Well, he needs uh, that thing to put on his head, Cerebro. Exactly. So think of Choosy maybe like that also. Yep. Well, Barney wants to get rid of Anne because he wants to tinker with his code book. So he's like, can you get them to call the Alan Fine DJ station or whatever it is? And she goes, she obliges and leaves the room. So then he goes to the code book. Was, was that was, was to get Palmer out of the room? He's going for the code book. He obviously wants privacy, right? Right. But man, if you know that you're still in the trip, why would you go for the code book? Why would you even go for the vial? This is what I'm talking about. He doesn't seem that bright. I know, but like you go for the code book and then he opens it up and it's blank. Completely and utterly empty. So he's like, oh, well, I'm going to send my message uncoded. Which I'm like, okay. It's dumb. It's dumb. Palmer Elders cannot create something he doesn't know. And so the when you open the book, it's obviously blank. When you open the vial, it's obviously blank because Palmer Eldritch doesn't know what's in the vial or in the book. Therefore, when you, to be well, fair, neither does Barney, and this is Barney's world. Barney's making all this. This is Barney's experience. So he decides that he's going to send a message anyway. He's on the phone with the DJ who he met surreptitiously last night. They're trying to keep all of this a secret, and he's like, hey, remember that conversation? Well, Palmer knows all about it, but he doesn't know the specifics. He just knows that we had the conversation, which implies that they were watching when you were watching, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. And he's like, I don't know you. I've never met you. Goodbye. <laughs> Which is what the real guy would probably do also. Now Palmer definitely knows that Barney is up to something. He just phone called his contact and was like, they know. <laughs> well, and tipped his hand with the... What? With the vial, the code book, all of it. Outplayed. What I get out of this is Barney can't distinguish between reality and not reality. Well, yeah, it's tough. Same thing that Leo had a problem with. I think everybody's going to have a problem with this. Oh, I mean, that's the reason why Leo choked the little girl, right? Yes, out of absolute um, frustration and desperation. And he's a psychopath. No big deal. But, you know, uh, you can create a door that takes you to the place you want to go to. Except that there's that thing under the floor, remember? Under the desk. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Now, that was Palmer Eldritch? Palmer put it there to remind him that he was not in reality. Oh, it was under his desk, right. not under the floor. Whatever. Right. I did yeah, correct that myself. Was, uh, 
but now, but Ronnie and Barney had no aspects of Palmer Eldridge in them when they were in the meeting with Leo they during that trip. Perfect simulations. Okay, so that's a little bit of a difference. But then, of course, there was the thing under the desk that jarred them out of the whole situation. It jarred all of them, yeah. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> this is the end of the chapter, correct? Yeah, we're, we're at the end of the chapter now, yeah. What was, okay, favorite parts, favorite moment in this chapter? Did you guys have one? Yeah. Because I do. I finally met Palmer Eldritch. Oh. No, you didn't. I probably didn't. <laughs> you probably didn't. Do you remember when Palmer winked at him? Oh, with his eye turned one they, eye Okay, off? so during the scene, yeah, he turns off one eye. When they're having oh, the right. scene with Emily, and they're doing the marriage counseling, and he's like, it's your fault, madam. And then he turns off one eye, <laughs> does the mechanical wink at Barney. <laughs> oh, my God, that was That's amazing. That was a great moment. That was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. One of you said that earlier, like even when they were receiving the the choosy from Palmer Eldritch, that he may have already been under the influence. It's possible. I mean, there's so many things about reality that are just a little off. You know, did you? Okay. Okay. Note, nobody got his name wrong. I did notice that. Uh, I was wondering if that was a sign of respect from... uh, Eldritch. I have a theory. Would you like to hear okay. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is assuming that Barney is not in Choosy during this opening scene, right? This oh, is before right. yeah. he's taken Choosy. Let's assume that that's true. Everybody's been getting his name wrong throughout the whole book. So maybe we've been looking at it wrong. Maybe it's just trying to tell us that people get things wrong. People make mistakes. Even the AI in this world get things wrong. But who doesn't get anything wrong? God. Palmer Eldritch. Palmer Eldritch doesn't make mistakes. He is infallible. That's what I'm starting to wonder about. The perfect human being. Better than human. Homo superior. Oh, that would be a mutant. He can grant eternal life. I mean, the analogy's there. The metaphor is there. I'm, I'm very interested in Palmer Eldritch. And to me, he really doesn't seem like he's all that bad. Like... I'm just very, very suspicious that he's... But someone talked to Leo and said, this Choosy and Palmer Eldritch is going to enslave humanity. Palmer told him that. Palmer's daughter told him that. Exactly. I'm just saying that... I know. This was said. I know. I don't even want to uh, suppose who actually said what Well, <laughs> in that situation. That's why I'm wondering about the silver lining, you know, that he's trying to make it the most pleasant experience he possibly can. We're like, doomed to live in an AI world. Right. And if you suffer, you're going to just be working that desk job all your life. And that's hell. But you can make a lot more out of it if you, uh, what? Think good thoughts? ATN, you said you loved this chapter. Why? Because I did not like this chapter. Because it's like back to form. It was interesting. Strange things happened. Like there, it was not just a bunch of people talking. So was the last chapter that you actually liked before this uh, the one where Leo was captured? Yes. Okay. Yes, because it was interesting. We were seeing like we were seeing this the strange, strange reality that's offered to people by Choosy, and we're seeing it again in this chapter. And I even liked the interaction that, that Barney had with Palmer in the beginning. You know, the, the the ship, it's obviously AI, and it has an incredibly acute sense of what's going on. Like, it's so good that it can interpret what people are thinking and doing by their body posture. Okay, That's so I, I, I did not like this chapter. I did not like it. Okay, but it's more interesting to say why you didn't like the chapter. And it's also less interesting to just say, I don't like chapters. Yeah, so right? you like, keep interrupting me before I actually get to describe. No, I'm, I'm not. I was telling you why I like the chapter, and then you insist on telling me, but this is why I don't like it. Well, because you just said your piece, and I'm, I'm countering. Okay. Counter away. So, from the very beginning, when Palmer Eldritch comes down to the planet, you don't comprehend, even then, so you have this ambiguity over what's real and what's not real. You have the real you think is the real of Barney on Mars and the unreal of Palmer Eldritch being there. So there's, but there's confusion there on what's real and what's not real. And then you slip over on the slightly other side of the coin, which is he takes choosy. And then you completely have no idea what's real or what's not real. I have a really hard time dealing with this kind of storytelling 
where I, I as the reader, don't comprehend what's real or what's not real. I have a hard time with that, and it's it's been a it's it's been a recurring thing. It's been an ongoing theme, man. We we've all been reading the book, but I'm left with the end of the chapter. Is he still doing choose in choosy? Is he still? Yes, he's definitely still. Yes, because at the very end, the match burns his fingers, and he doesn't give and up. He ignores it. Oh, I thought that by the two. It's like he. I was like, I didn't get that part. I didn't get it initially either. And a lot of the having the conversation with you guys is making it clearer. Oh, man, I was such a fool in the beginning Yay. of this We're conversation. We're doing our job. That's what this is supposed to do. That's you great. know, I, I really thought when Anne showed up and waked him, woke him up, you know, initially, like, oh my gosh, that's something that happened. It's very upsetting. Yeah. But it felt very yes. real. Mm-hmm. And it was portrayed as very real. And as a result, you, the reader, are supposed to think that it's really real until it's not anymore. And this is a mind F. Yeah. Some people don't like that type of storytelling. This I guy, think within right this there. context, I like it a lot. But the thing is, is that that's the concept with AI and transferring our mental data to computer and whatever it is, is that, hell, it's in real life It's happening these days when you talk about gender plurality and all this other stuff. I'm just saying that the presentation that we are seeing in front of us is not necessarily the presentation that's the reality to that person. Look, when my father is playing uh, video games on the computer, right? He makes his character look like a woman, scantily clad, because fools out there are always willing to give that woman you know, special <laughs> powers and, or or items and stuff like that. We have always said that when we're on the computer, and this is ever since like the eighties, right? If you're talking to somebody, assume it's another man on the other end because it always is. I don't even assume that the person that is upset for the way women are treated in video games is actually even a woman dead. <laughs> I just assume everybody's a dude because uh, we're crazy fools. And uh, this is kind of what we're seeing here. It's like a continued reality that is or isn't real. And it, each layer that we're, we're stripping away gets us closer to the reality of who that person is or the situation we're in. And we're still in it even then. Well, I think Barney is stuck. I think he's not in reality, and I don't think he's coming out. Yeah. And I think that's what he thinks, too, at the end of the chapter. No, I, I didn't think that. I, th- I thought that he, it's like he was incapable of determining re- reality from not reality because he was doing stupid stuff. He's stupid. That's why. No, I think. Well, he knows that whatever whatever Eldritch did to Leo is what's happening to him right here. That's the key. I think that it says, what Eldridge did to Leo on Luna or Sigma 14B or wherever, he's done it to me too. He began with me. He will eventually snare us all. So he knows that he's snared and he knows that he was a target. So kind of like what you're saying, it's like, well, I'm going to try and make this as nice a, uh, a situation for you as possible, but you're stuck here and you ain't ever getting out. Yeah. Hmm. Until the real Anne comes and maybe wakes well, up. Well, he could be there for a thousand years, right? Anne's going to be taking it, too. <sighs> what is she? Oh, man, I don't have a clue. But, I mean, it seems like to me that she is the type that would get right on it. She wasn't so happy with the candy afterwards. She wanted to take Choosy. She has been pining yeah. away for it. She wants it. She's going to take it. She's like, can you please get me some? Obviously, she's going to take it. That's about the. Oh my God! All of the colonies are going to be taken up like that. Of course. And then what happens? Because they can't feed themselves in the state. They would die. Yeah, they would all after die. what, like three months at the most. They're or dead. they'd wake up because they were hungry, and then they would really do farming. <laughs> I guess the first UN salt uh, deployment, maybe when no one shows up for that then someone's going to get interested in what's going on. Well, but if you think about it, you know, if you live in eternity in a few seconds, it'll be over in a few seconds. Yeah. You'll, you'll come back and you'll be like, Oh, all right. And so will everybody else. Unless they don't come back or they don't want to, or don't want to. Yeah. No, but it doesn't matter. Even if it's an eternity. No, it does though. It does because time's still going to pass. It's not like time stops, right? 
It stops right. while you're taking choosy. That's what he was trying. Does it? That's what he. That's what. No, it can't. No, it can't. Time it doesn't cannot. stop. Oh, I'm sorry. You live. You look. You can live one day in a choosy trip or a hundred years in a choosy trip, and probably it's only going to take about an hour at the most. Well, Either well, that's way. what I even was... if it's the blink of the eye, even if it's the blink of the eye, right. it cannot stop for everybody, right? You can't take choosy and have time stop for everybody. It just wouldn't work. I agree. That's what I was trying to explain as the inverted pyramid analogy I had like a couple oh, of I remember that. Yeah, I cut all that out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cut all that out because it didn't make any sense. In my mind, it makes sense. <laughs> That's great, man. But you know, find a way to communicate it clearly, and then we'll we'll keep it in. All right, I need a. I, I, let me go get my whiteboard. <laughs> exactly. Get a whiteboard. Learn. Do flow charts. You know what we should do? Uh, Phil and his inverted his ziggurat. <laughs> you uh, know what? Whiteboard session. Did you listen to the last episode yet, Yule? No, I'm on the one before that. We uh, I left in the part where where you said Jesus. if you leave this in, you can leave my stupid shit in too. <laughs> Uh, you didn't say shit. you said stupid stuff but at the same time like it was hilarious <laughs> it was funny it was funny i agree it's good to it's good to laugh um okay so do you guys hold on go through your notes just go through yeah. your underlining and all that stuff and let's see um so if i had if i could sum up this chapter it was one of confusion but it's meant to be confusing that's the thing i'm not not to dismiss your thoughts Philip, but we have precedents for this. We've already seen this once before, where reality is so incredibly blurred that the user cannot distinguish it. I, right? Yep. I, and we're getting it again. Yep. We're getting a refrain, as it were. So, I don't know. To me, it wasn't confusing. It was just, like, implications. When you started off this chapter, you had the firm belief that you were in the real world and mm. that Palmer Aldrich, that whole interaction, that it wasn't real. And so you still had firm grasp on real, but then you also finally realized that what he, Palmer Eldritch was, was not real. And then the opposite happened. You became incapable of distinguishing what was real. If you were to assume one way or the other, this is reality, this is not reality, would you like draw the line at the taking of the choosy? And say everything after that is unreality, unreality, and everything before that is reality. In this chapter, yes. Then you got it perfectly correct, right? I think that's what you're intended to assume. Am I misunderstanding what you're saying? Uh, no, you are not. But the one last thing, and I think Yule gave me the epiphany there, is that when he wanted to smoke a cigarette, but he let the match burn out on his fingers, and he didn't do anything. And I was like, whatever. That was the very last line of the chapter, and I didn't get it. And Yule, you said you thought that he's still in the dream world? Either that or he's so deep in thought that the actual flame of a match wouldn't burn. There's no, there's no way I wouldn't feel a match burning out on the tip of my finger. I don't see any indication of him coming out of the trip. Yeah, I think you'll, you nailed that one because I, I didn't get it, but when you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, apparently he's still in there. I guess the only question is like, you know, how long or when did it start and how long is it going to last? Do you really? not think it started when he chewed it? No, I think it did. Okay. It really doesn't matter if the simulacrum was the actual physical embodiment of Palmer Eldritch. That's what he was portraying. And that's all that really mattered. I just reread it and there's no indication that he could be accurate. You know what I mean? It just says that he turned and the thing, and you know, it was there and it was really him. I guess the question I have in back of my mind is, if you take it one time, are you there forever? Could be. I hope so, because that is terrifying. All right, you guys have anything else or we can close this episode down? I'm good. All right, join us for chapter 11 coming up in nine days' time if you're listening to this in real time. Because you're not under the influence of choosy. And you're not even certain what re what is real and what is not real. Luke was correct, by the way. The last 40 pages, I would say it's going to start kicking off right now. I'm excited. Right now. All right, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>